Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 262, I Didn't Come Back to Be a Monster. This week we're discussing episode 5 of The Fades, and season 5, episode 20 of Angel, The Girl in Question. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right. Uh, the penultimate episode mm-hmm. of The Fades. That seemed to go by fast. It did. <laughs> I mean, there's only yes. six, so like we knew it would. But Well, uh, I, I don't think we did it intentionally this way, but of these three short seasons that we did, each of them got a little shorter. It was like eight episodes and then six episodes and then, or five and I don't know, whatever. Like, yeah, yeah. It's, they've gotten a little shorter each time. Yep. Um, so yeah, so we're like getting there in the end. And I, so this episode is a little bit of chess piece moving, mm-hmm. right? Um, there's some stuff with like Paul figuring out and like all the reactions to his, you know, re uh well i almost said resurrection but did i guess he does technically die right because he flatlined so like right there is there is it is kind of a resurrection in a way Mm -hmm. um and you know there's a lot of like (laughs) like literal clearing of the slate like like getting all the extras out of town so that, like, we can focus just on the right, right. sort of, like, main characters. Right. Some well, characters die and and everybody right. else flees. So it's right. like we only have the main characters left anymore, I guess. It's like, I mean, it, it is kind of like the last episode of Buffy in that way, right? Like, where it's, like, literally the entire, like, town of Sunnydale, like, gets out of Dodge. You know, it's interesting, though, that, like, if if this show and had it's hit, in a school. Sorry. And it's in a school. High school is hell. Did you know that? Um, I'm hearing that that's a theme. So it it kind of is funny, though, to think that if this show had continued, it kind of cracks me up that they got to they got in episode five, like what Buffy did at the end of is it <laughs> right. seven seasons. It took seven like, seasons to get to here. <laughs> the fades is like by episode five, the world, the like the apocalypse is apparently we're told descending and and everyone has fled the town because like yeah we're all gonna die anyway and, it's just kind of funny is, that is interesting and i don't like where maybe, do you maybe, where do you maybe, go from there i guess is a question how do you go bigger than that maybe we don't get into this all right now like maybe we wait for next week when we're kind of doing the series wrap up but i do want to like sort of comment on just the sheer number of like characters that there are given mm-hmm. the like shortness of the story and i mean yeah the the titular characters of jonathan strange and mr norrell notwithstanding as like the obvious focus characters i mean that one also had like a fair number of like secondary characters that were worth exploring but but not as many as this mm-hmm. and and i just feel like between, you know, Mac, Jay, Anna, uh, Mark, his one night stand, uh, whose name I can't ever remember. And um, I, know, I wrote it, I Nat, wrote it down. Like, I think it's Vicky, but oh, Vicky, I had to okay. write it down. 
um, Natalie and like the other um, Angelics and whatever. Like, like there is seasons worth of stuff just yeah. in their stories that I feel like you could easily fit in. And and even if like this went, I mean, even if this wasn't like a full like twenty two season, like like say this was like a thirteen or uh, twenty two season, twenty two um, episode season. You know, even this, if this was like a 13 episode season, you know, double approximately the length, mm-hmm. a little more than double. Like, there's just some really interesting backstories, I feel, and like mm-hmm. plays on character relationships that you could do that wouldn't like, I don't know. It The, the compressed nature of the story is really, I don't dislike it, but mm-hmm. I just find it kind of like odd that they didn't kind of given how many characters there are that they didn't go for like, let's have an episode just on some of the other Angelics sure. or like, yeah. you know, let's have an episode that explores, um, you know, kind of Jay yeah. and Anna, like not in relation to Paul, you know, at it, all. It, it's a difference of pace really, because I, I think what feels certainly different than Buffy is you feel like the angelics, if that is like a whole world of backstory that you could do in this whole other set of secondary characters, if I, I'm not saying this would have been better, but it, it feels like if it was Buffy, that would have been like somewhere in season three, we introduce, um, the fact that there are these other angelics and this is a whole new like avenue of the mythology what's weird about the fades is like they show up by like episode two or three and then like by the end of the season you're doing the kind of stories that again it took buffy seven seasons to work up to so they're just again it's not bad or wrong it's just that they're not necessarily taking the time to explore all these multiple different characters and avenues they're like introducing everything up front in these first six episodes mm-hmm. which meant maybe then if it had gone on for multiple years you could have spent m- many years really delving into those things but it's also like it, it feels i don't know that it feels rushed but when you kind of sit down and compare it to something else it's like very bizarre yeah. um it's a bizarre approach well so and like you mentioned like season three it's season three episode 12 which which is the first time we actually see like another watcher right exactly exactly like you get um quentin traver well i yeah because when does yeah wesley doesn't come till later right in the season with faith right yeah i couldn't tell you what episode Um, but but season three yeah. But it but it's mid season three right. when we like find like I mean we, we've heard of the Watchers Council and right. we kind of know there are other right. ones but like right. we don't actually get until like it's you know Buffy's eighteen year old you know tradition thing where like Giles is you know having to do it and it mm-hmm. and you find out oh there's like this there's these other Watchers there and there's you know whatever like you start delving into that backstory but yeah like that's after you know two and a half seasons of like just building up the mythology that you're even working with. Right. Right. Um, right. I, I don't, I don't mean that as a criticism at all. Cause right. I actually quite like the fades and I think, you know, where we've gotten before, I, I do, I like, 
I think it's a testament maybe to what they've done that I want to know more about Mm -hmm. the world and kind of, I want to see those other stories. So again, like we can maybe talk about it more when we're doing sort of the season recap. I didn't necessarily mean to go down that road right now, but it, it is kind of interesting just given how few episodes there is that like it does kind of take away some of those opportunities, but, but again, even like that's not an indication that they did badly at all. I think it, it's actually kind of impressive how there's a, there, there is a almost Tolkienian illusion of depth Mm. to it, given just what few episodes we've gotten so far um, with the angelics and, and the fades themselves and kind of that there's a history there, even if you don't know what it is, right. and can't fully appreciate like the extent. Cause like, we don't even know are the half dozen or so fades that came and joined Neil. Is that all of them? Or is that just like, is this just like the local, like right. British cell of the angelics? Mm-hmm. Um, and does this fades problem occur everywhere around the world mm-hmm. and i who know, maybe there'll be some of those answers or maybe we won't get any of those but and and maybe that would be something that would be explored in other seasons and stuff like right you know do we get the fades france and the fades u.s the fades and, rome you know, even yeah the fades rome <laughs> that's yeah well get wolfram and Hart rome but uh yeah so like i, I do think it's somewhat impressive that they're able to kind of figure out how to like do that with just one short season mm-hmm. of episodes. Um, but yeah, I, I do also kind of wish that, I mean, everyone wishes there was more fate. So like, I'm not like saying, obviously I'm not the only one, but. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I think, and I think especially when you put it up next to Buffy, it is the, they're doing very similar things, but the contrast between the style and have how they go about it in some ways couldn't be more different. So it's like the approach to, I guess, Buffy's slow burn of let's really luxuriate in those individual character pieces. And, and over time, over seven years, we're going to drip and drop this like huge mythology and backstory kind of very luxuriously throughout it. And then whereas the fades is like, nah, out of the kitchen sink, everything is in like, (laughs) you meet all the angelics by episode two and most of them are dead by episode five. (laughs) And, and oh yeah, like we're going to blow up the world and evacuate the town um, by episode six. Like what? It it just is so different. So it, it, I hadn't thought about that even until this conversation quite put it into those terms, but um, looking at them side by side when they're on the surface, their plot outlines are so similar is um, really interesting and fascinating and successful in different ways. Like obviously Buffy was more successful just in the purely it ran for seven years and had many more millions of viewers since um but like they're both well thought of series like neither one of them was like a a failure to per se so there's no um there's no one thing you can point to and say well this is the correct way of doing something 
Um, sure. And yeah, I mean, who knows what we would have gotten in in future episodes and seasons, but um, but yeah, by this by the end of this episode, we've got through a lot of plot on our way to the season and series finale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So, um, yeah, now we got to get back to like where, where were we going to start? So, um, I wanted to start with sort of the situation where we are in this episode because, like, there's not not much time, but there's a little bit of time that has passed, and I'm not sure I'm entirely clear. And maybe it doesn't matter, but like mm, yeah. we left Paul in the hospital, right? And now he's home. I like part of me is just like, okay, like is this like the next day? But then another part of me is like, what hospital is gonna release someone who died like that sure. quickly? Right. I I think we get a sense that he's home sooner than the doctors and the mother would like. But yeah. I don't think it's next day necessarily. I okay. think it's, it's, it like there, seems, there... well, and I'll, I'll tell you why I think that mostly is when we get into, it seems that there's a severe escalation in what's going on in the town, which right. seems like maybe at least a couple days or even maybe a week or two have okay. elapsed or something. Right. And so, right. So we get kind of like the, I don't I don't know what the cinematic terminology is for like, you know, like we see like Natalie and like other fades like eating like different people. Oh, right? like a kind of a montage at the beginning yeah, of yeah, I guess all the different montage. characters. And then like um you get like the DCI Armstrong like kind of looking at the increasing number of people on the board and then you know the school becomes like this like there there's enough people who go missing that like they cancel school and turn the school into mm-hmm. a crisis center um so yeah so you're right like there is a sense of a passage of time kind of in that opening Mm-hmm. montage or whatever i guess i always associate montage with music i mean there was kind of like music playing over it but it like, right yeah. but it's like little vignettes of where yeah. the different like just just silent shots of the different characters and kind of i think it does give it's supposed to give the impression that at least a little bit of time has gone right. past but they do allude to like the doctors maybe not wanting Paul to be home quite so quickly. So I don't think it's not like months later or anything. Sure. Um, so yeah, so we get, obviously the fades are feasting on people and like more of them are becoming, are, are recorporealizing, I guess. Um, I don't know if that's the right term, but it fits. Um, go with it. And, uh, they kind of are putting some kind of plan into motion, I guess, of, well, it's not entirely clear what the plan is, but we see that, like, John is recruiting, kind of, in a way. And by recruiting, I mean killing people and then taking, and then having their fades become recorporealizing, which is interesting. I didn't think of this, but is that, is the implication there that like they're eating them their own bodies or something? Like, is there a? Hmm. 
hmm. sort of implication in some of that, maybe? I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. Like, I'm just thinking, because we get, like, Steve, and then we get, like, the nurse hmm. guy, right? Who are both, like, like, they're freshly dead people. Like, they're they're not, like, like, Natalie, you get the sense, has been around a while, like, as the fade. Um, mm-hmm. And John, obviously, we know, was a fade for a long time. Um, but these are, like, new, like, these are, like, he's killing these people specifically to recruit them to mm-hmm. his team. Um, yeah, which is kind of a creepier thought than I even was thinking, like, as I was watching. I di- it didn't occur to me that, that like, it, they could be, it could be their own bodies that they're, right. like, they're right. using to recorporealize themselves. Right. The weird sort of circularity to that. Yeah. Um, yeah. The serpent eating its own tail kind of. Sure. Uh, and then, so... With some kind of goal or plan in mind, although I don't know that we ever get it stated. So there is a clear goal that um, John says in regards to Paul, which is to kill him, right? Like, because that was that's what he was disappointed about, right? Like, John's like, "Oh, yay! I have a body now. Oh crap! The guy I wanted to kill is already dead." Like. So, like, now we know, it's like, oh, okay, he's back, and now I can kill him, you know, but, and and there's also, like, a point where John's sort of explanation of Paul is almost just, like, like, this is, like, whimsy of a bad man kind of thing, like, mm-hmm. this is, like, like, why does, you know, a crow fly, like, you know, you can't ask, like, what's part of your nature, and this is just, like, there's sort of a, I almost said capricious, but it's not even capricious. It's just sort of like, this is how I am. You mm-hmm. know, like some people like pizza. I like to kill people. <laughs> like, you know, right. um, aspect to kind of how he describes it to Paul. I didn't write down the exact quote, so I'm struggling a little bit to kind of explain that. But yeah, I don't like, know is, there, is there is there ultimate but... plan just like kill as many people and then like, but like what? Then recorporealize them? Like, like we want to kill people, but then make them fade to make them fades, who can then have physical being again. Mm-hmm. So like, even that seems kind of like, like, is this just pure spite? Just like I want more people like me because I'm pissed that I can't be hmm. alive again. I'm, so I'm listening, as you know, I've been, like, catching up on uh, the Exploring the Lord of the Rings, you mm-hmm. know, from the Mythgard uh, Institute. Yeah. And um, one of the, like, uh, I was just, I was recently, like, in the last week or so, going through um, some of the discussion of, like, the attack on, on Weathertop um, by the Nazgul and, you know, some of the explanations around, like, you know, what is it that, like, the ring race want like what are they so angry about a lot of the time um you know besides besides just like you know being under the will of sauron and it's it's this idea that like they hate what they want and can't have hmm. which is life right like their their own lives have sort of been extended into you know to cause them to become these wraiths. so like is this is there a similar thing going on here with john i wonder hmm. like 
is it like his he was killed so young and then spent so much time not having a corporeal body you know with a corporeal body yeah as if there's another type of body um not having you know a, a body in which to you know be with his wife and whatever and like now that he has one it's different than actually being alive again it's, well that's right that's the like i don't know that i necessarily have a real clear sense on which i feel like would help to maybe define those things is to what extent is this new fade life different or unsatisfactory compared to actual life because if it was just a matter of wanting to be corporeal again well like you said like they've achieved that like mm -hmm. he ate the flesh he was reborn and now he can touch and feel and do all those things and yet like the killing continues and the need to put other people through this same process seems to be the ultimate goal. So I don't know. Well, and he... it, it almost seems, and that's why I'm curious, like, is that the goal or is that like more of a compulsion? Like, right. Like, like is, is it there, even like a, a there, conscious aspect of his goal? Is there something in this new life, which is lacking, which is like, could explain this need to, you know, mm -hmm. kind of, I don't know, could fuel the anger to keep it going? Or is is it just a completely mindless, you know, compulsion, like you said? And I don't know if um, if we really get, like, a specific answer to that. Like, yeah. is there still something in, in this fade life that isn't the same as real life? Um, I feel like fade life should be a hashtag. <laughs> um <laughs> but uh yeah with and a why oh yeah of course um <laughs> sorry i'm thinking of other alternate spellings of <laughs> anyway uh so uh, another idea for um our 13 episode season was john like this in real life Right. Like, we know that he died in war. Was he, a, like, a war criminal? Did he mm -hmm. do some, like, really atrocious stuff, like, before he was killed? Right. Like, is this just right. a continuation of the personality that he already had? Right. Right. Um, right. Or is it just that he's the, the, been the fade the longest and right. is and therefore so he's the, the shittiest? Yeah. Right. Is he the shittiest of the fades? <laughs> right. It, well, and is he even the first fade? Like that's the, that seems right. to be the implication that right. The, I think I, I think the line was like he was among the first, but like maybe it doesn't say that he was the first. So that is another question. Like right, like again with the mythology. Okay, if this started fifty years ago or whatever it was, um. 60 years ago or something what even started it we don't know like we, right. we still don't know what like first of all like why the fades are happening as a phenomenon and then secondly like what is the truth mm -hmm. of this whole 
ascension idea of like it being cut off and what can the angelics do or not do about that and who has access to these things and like there's a lot of people claiming a lot of stuff that we just don't know the real truth behind it yeah um and also like why do the fades have like why is there like physical trauma over time and and you know right. degradation of their bodies right. over time like right. if they're if they're spiritual mm-hmm. creatures yeah question. we don't yeah. we don't we don't know like we don't get that uh answer of course but mm-hmm. um those are like that could be like episode 10 maybe um we get that explanation <laughs> yeah I'm not like calling for a reboot specifically, but like if you right. wanted to like if we were to plot out like what a season might look like for right. anyone who was looking to do that to reboot um, it, yeah, we could come up with some good ideas. Sure. Um, just throwing that out there to whoever may be listening. Um, that's like <laughs> that's like Corey's frequent appeals to like Amazon, if Amazon or whoever <laughs> yeah. might be making yeah. a Lord of the Rings. I'm you know, available. TV series. Yeah. <laughs> there was one where, where he was definitely like, I, I'm i not limiting it to Amazon. It could be anyone who was making a Lord of the as if there are any other options. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. So, uh, yeah. I. But if someone were to listen to this in 10 years, we're still available. We yeah, we'll still be available. Unless we're fades by then. But, um <laughs> Which I'm not planning on being, but anyway. Um, yeah, so I like that's, I think, other than the goal to kill Paul, and maybe that's sufficient, maybe that's all we need. I don't know that there is much of a plan beyond that, besides just make as many of us as we can. Mm-hmm. But like that, that's not. Like, if that's the goal, it's like, yeah, it does seem pretty, like, just sort of vindictive and, mm-hmm. like, whatever. Which, again, maybe, like, that's fine. I'm not, like, criticizing that as the goal. I'm just saying, like, I don't, I don't know that, like, we get much of an actual explanation of, like, what they're trying to accomplish yeah. beyond Kill Paul. And, and, even, and that even is just John. It's just John is Kill Paul. Right. Like, and the others would just kind of like go along with them because, of course, you know why not? They're henchmen, right? And women, right? Um, they're hench, henchers, henchies. Well, I and like some henchies, um, minions. Um, some of the, some of it too is like, maybe this is obvious, but just like the the way that it's using the fades to kind of play with monster mythology like you know there's there's a little bit of the vampire to them especially in these new bodies where you can't really tell which is which um Mm. and then um you know and then there's zombies as well like and there's something of like the monster as like a collective that's like just this self-perpetuating like the urge to spread whatever the condition is, you know, like, I mean, vampires want 
victims to feed on, but then they turn all their victims. So in theory, you'd kind of be right. like, why would you want to turn? Like you don't, you don't, you don't want to drain your supply of victims, but there's, there's some balance there between we want the people to eat, but also there's a compulsion to make them like us. Yeah. Um, that seems like that's just kind of a traditional part of the way that these monsters operate. And I don't know that that's a rational thing, which kind of, I guess, mm. leads me to conclude that it is more of a compulsion than anything else. Like, you know, John may have his particular motivations of what he individually wants, but like, as but a, even that's like as pretty species, compulsive and and like sure. reactionary. Yes, sure. Because like he he didn't know about Paul until like three weeks ago, right? <laughs> or right. however, like whatever the the duration right. of right. you know the diegetic time frame is. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. So maybe it is more just this need to spread the disease, and you know kind of convert people um well and now like that we get the fact that paul can apparently like kill them for good it's even more mo now there's a specific reason to kill paul like you know he has a sort of weapon that only he's the, you know, the only one who can use it against them as far as we know um so we get a, a reason for that here but like yeah that John didn't know about that before this episode. Um, um, which yeah. just, just thinking of like vampire mythology, like that's, it, it's like the, um, I, I don't know if you watched True Blood at all, but it's Not. like the, the the concept of, of true death, right? Like there's death and then there's true death of right. like your entity in whatever form is no longer even around. Mm -hmm. Um right or not or right. otherwise right right and we kind of get that distinction here of john kills people but paul obliterates them utterly like right which again we don't really know like do they have souls and if so what happens to their souls when paul you know, annihilates them we are taking john's word for it when he says you know that um yeah, you know, I I just kill people and you kind of destroy them. But nobody so, like how is it different than ascension? We don't know. We don't know. Maybe it's not. Right. Well, especially yeah. Is 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 ascension? What if, what if another type them? of obliteration? Right. Or if all they want to ascend, if all they want is to ascend, what if this is a means toward that? You know, what if Paul mm -hmm. is doing them a favor? Um, I'm not saying that is for sure, but it's like, if we don't know what happens when they ascend and we don't know what happens when Paul sort of sends them into the ether, there's potentially, it's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, although Paul feels bad about it. Well, Yeah. I mean, he doesn't and know where that, they're going either. Right. And it, I guess the question is, because he, because this is a unique ability, right? Like, even among angelics, like, no right. other angelics seem to be able to kill a fade. Right. And so, 
I guess what I'm trying to get at is, is there a sense in which, like, does his feeling bad about it imply, like, is there some kind of, um, what's the word, like, like instinctual, you know, like the fact that he feels bad about it, does that mean that like, it is bad? <laughs> like, it's objectively bad, mm -hmm. because like, he has this power. And so like, whatever, or is it just like, he's just kind of a guy who feels guilty about stuff. So sure. Whatever. Also, we haven't seen his wings again. No, I don't know. I've I sort of assumed that would come into play at some point. Um, I mean, we still have an another episode to go, but like, we it hasn't done mm -hmm. anything. So yeah, like, what does that mean? Um, like, why even bother with that? Other than the humor of the situation in which we first encountered that. Sure. Like, if is that really the only that would have for them? It would have been relevant in episode nine. But maybe we'll see them again next episode. I don't know. Maybe we will. Try to scrutinize whether or not you're hinting at something or not. I can't tell. Um, yeah. So, all right. I, so, the community response is to kind of create this crisis center at the school. And so, of course, people collect there. And of course, it becomes um, you know happy meals with legs situation right, right, right. Um, for the fades to just kind of come in and take over and you know kill someone, take their badge, and suddenly they're part of the mm -hmm. solution, so to speak. Right. Um, switching gears a little bit, so like that's that's all like the situation. Um, going back to like Paul then. Um, you know, he's at home. I don't, we don't need to spend, like, a ton of time on each of the reactions, but just wanted to sort of note, like, of course, you know, mom is sort of, like, like you noted, like, she sort of wishes maybe he had stayed in the hospital a little bit longer. Um, they also don't seem terribly aware of what's happening all around in the community at this point. Um mm -hmm. It's not until Jay, which I guess this this is another indication, or sorry, not Jay. Um, another indication that there's some time that has passed is Anna sort of insisting that they go try to find Steve. Because he right. hasn't been around a while. Right. Which is like, if you think about it, it's like, well, didn't we just see him last episode? <laughs> like, so clearly mm -hmm. there's some time that passes. Um mm -hmm. But yeah, so her, so, you know, mom wishes Paul had stayed in um, the hospital a little bit longer, but he didn't. And so, she, you know, she just sort of lets her kids do what they're going to do. Like, I don't know that she's the most assertive of mothers. Um, sure. Which is, you know, it That's is what fair. it is. Um, Mac has basically, it seemed like, like, well, both Mac and Jay are, like, now basically living in their house, I guess. Yeah. Because um, it's not clear, like, so has has it been for whatever duration that Paul's been home that they're all sort of, like, living together now? Um, but the implication is kind of that 
this is the first night at least that Jay is there, right? Mm -hmm. Like at least that's the implication I got. Um right. Well, is it did you say this or did they establish is this the first night that Paul is home? Like is this Paul's like maybe actually coming home? I didn't right. So so right. So maybe he's been in the hospital the whole time up until today. Right. And maybe Jay is coming over because he's come. So I, but I don't know. I mean, it could be that Mac has been staying with at Paul's house. Well, I, I, I would, I would assume that like both Mac and mom and possibly Anna, like just were at the hospital the whole time. Mm -hmm. I would, I would definitely assume that of mom, likely of Mac. Anna, I could see going back and forth. Sure. (laughs) Um, you know, right. Right. So, right. So this is probably the first night that everybody is out of the hospital together. Yes. And there's some confusion about the sleeping arrangements. Um, And, you know, Jay's parents seem to be rather permissive, apparently. Yeah. From what we know of them. Like, heard of them. Yeah. (laughs) Well, like, just the fact that, like, her father lets her, you know, hold that party in the church and stuff. Like, like, there's, there is some, there's like precedent for Jade being able to do pretty much whatever she wants as well. Right. Um, So, yeah. Um, I like um, Mac and Paul's matching PJs. Yes, of course. Um, Their little slumber party. I um, that they're getting ready for. That. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think um, since we're talking about the two of them, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I think we get some of those poignant moments there between Mac and Paul of just like, because Paul's still kind of shell-shocked. Mm-hmm. Or I don't know if there's a better term for that, but like, like he says, I was ready to ascend, right? I let everyone down and I was ready to leave this rock forever. And Mac's response is, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you came back to life. <laughs> like, like, oh, what a terrible thing that you didn't die, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, goes on, as Mac does um, in sort of his jokey way. Uh, but yeah, like just that idea. Uh, so, man, we're, we're drawing a lot of Buffy parallels tonight. But is this the I was in heaven? Like... I, it's a little different, right? Obviously, like he wasn't there yet, but like he was like, I was ready. I was moving on. I was, you know, there and my light was burning and I was about to ascend. And I get, you know, just when I thought I could get out, they pull me back in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and yeah, like, is that the kind of idea here? I think that, you know, I don't know if depression is quite the right word, but like, uh, you know, when, when you sort of like emotionally and mentally like prepared yourself for a thing to happen and then it doesn't happen. Right. And right. Even like if there's it was adjustment a, that has to take place there. Even if it was in, in quotes, a bad thing, a thing that you, but just there's something about bracing yourself there can be a disappointment and a letdown, even if you're bracing yourself for something difficult or, or unpleasant. Um, sure. And just the, the kind of anticlimax of it not happening um, can, can trigger that kind of, you know, yeah. confusion or melancholy for sure. No, I've, I've, I've heard of, 
obviously this is a very different situation. So like whatever criticism one might levy on me for like even making a comparison, like I'm willing to take, but I've, I've even heard that in terms of like cancer patients where like they're told maybe they have three months to live and then they live beyond that. And it's, it's not a bad thing per se. I mean, you know, there's pain and suffering and, and whatever. So that's not great, but like, there is that idea of like, wait, I was ready. <clears throat> Excuse me. I was ready to move mm -hmm. on. And now I like, I've said all my goodbyes, but now I'm still here. And right. like, what do I, you know, right. how do I handle What that? do I do? Yeah. Um, obviously again, not intending to imply that there's a direct link, but just in that one particular like mm -hmm. idea of, coming to grips with something and then it doesn't happen or, or it doesn't happen in the way that you expect it. To. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Mac is the true best friend of the, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you came back to life, mm -hmm. like deal with it, mm -hmm. buddy. Um, but can you do this? And then he, you know, does the right, stupid thing with his tongue. Like, yeah, just his kind of undercutting of the supernatural and the weird and everything. Um, right. With, but it with something works. completely right, right. It works with Paul to bring him back to like the present and the silly and the fun, mm -hmm. you know, time with his friends. And so, like, I'm jumping ahead here, but that's like to talk about Neil. Like, his whole criticism has is always been so. This is the angelic with family and friends, right? Mm -hmm. um, right, <laughs> like. This is Neil's problem with Paul is that he's distracted or, you know, not focusing on the right things. And but it's Mac who, like, helps him stay grounded, you mm -hmm. know, whatever that means. And Jay, who, you know, well, does various things for him. But, sure. um, you know, yeah, I, and I don't mean that just like sexually or whatever, but like, you know, who provides kind of I mean it's you know the the she doesn't so I'm trying to think because like Mac you know Mac's your childhood friend right who you grew up with and it's just like you've been friends forever and you're just going to kind of know like each other and always be able to joke around and whatever but like like Jay's you know maybe been around because she's Anna's friend but like she doesn't like understand Paul in the way that Mac does, mm -hmm. right? Like, there's not like that friendship level of, you know, right. understanding there. But she likes him, and he likes her, and and there's at least a mutual willingness to like support each other. Um, I forget what's the um, what's the phrase that he says back to her, like you know. I'm weird, but I'm your weirdo or whatever, whatever. Oh, that. like I'm uh, your freak or something. I'm freak. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, like, I kind of feel mm -hmm. like, I mean, in terms of them representing like Paul's ties to the world and the world of the living and the mundane and everything, it's not strictly one versus the other. Cause you just said like, there's bleed and crossover between the two, but I almost feel like Max sort of the past, like, this mm. this link to your history and your childhood and where you grew up and all those 
references and in jokes and people who know you so well. And whereas Jay is sort of like the future, like she's potential. She's like the thing that's new and exciting and that has implications for where it could go. She kind of represents these future experiences that he hasn't had yet. Um, sure. I hadn't you know, thought about it that way, but that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, and, and like, that's not to say one is better or worse or that there's, I mean, obviously it's more complicated. Like that doesn't imply that Mac is about to be left behind. And it doesn't mean that Jay doesn't have her own history that she comes with. Like, that, you know, I don't mean to turn them just into like these um, abstract sort of concepts or anything, but like, I think they, they clearly matter to Paul, which means that they are obstacles for Neil, like you're saying, mm -hmm. um, in his need for Paul to sever these ties. Like that means kind of both giving up the things that he has lived with and grew up with and cares deeply about. And it also kind of means giving up any potential future commitments and, you know, his potential to experience new things with other people. Um, but I mean, Paul, I mean, so there, there's a lot of kidnapping in this episode, as we've sort of said. And, um, but like, I'm just kind of realizing now, like, yeah, like kind of everybody gets taken hostage at some point, but like really to motivate Paul, John goes after Jay, like, you know, hides her in the back room, like to lure Paul to go to a specific place. And Neil goes after Mac. Like, these are clearly the things that Paul cares most deeply about. Um And I mean, I think it is interesting that Neil goes for Mac rather than for Jay in a way. Like, even though Jay is new and exciting and everything, like Mac's, like you said, the one that, because of the history, this is the person that knows you like the back of your hand. And sure. like, there's something very personal about going for his best friend. Yes. I don't disagree that that you can look at it that way i guess i just sort of assumed he had already like because neil's already been to mac's house before right or no that was the other angelix wasn't it well they oh, that no, was, that, they was, that, was paul's paul's house. that was paul's right. Room. right sorry i was getting confused that yeah i don't so okay yeah i i for some reason i thought neil had been at mac's house before but I guess I was misremembering what happened. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know that it would be that difficult for him to find it or anything, but. Well, clearly he does. So <laughs> yeah. like, like, yeah, no, I agree. I, I guess. Just trying to think, th think it through a little bit then. Cause I like, I, just cause I was confused there on that point. Like. He only finds out about Jay at that point, but he's seen Mac and Paul together multiple times. Sure. And it's also Mac who sort of gets blamed for Paul's accident. Right. Mm, and Mac's right. the one who calls Neil. 
So maybe it, maybe that's it. Maybe it's just like there's more touch points already between them that right. he's more familiar right. with Mac and knows that Paul, he's Paul's best friend. Right. That's the one that he's familiar with. Um, and also, like, it's not clear, like, what happens to Jay at this point. Like, she leaves town, I guess, with her parents, maybe, with mm-hmm. the rest of them. Or maybe she doesn't. I don't know. Like, we just don't know where she yeah. goes, do I we? I don't remember if we find out for sure. No, at, I don't know at, at least at know. the end, At the end of this episode, I have no idea where Jay is. Right. Oh, no, she got, no, because she got kidnapped and then saved. Yeah, I don't know that we hear one way or the other. That not that I can remember. I but, mean, I would I would expect to see her again in the next episode, but I guess I maybe now I shouldn't expect that. Um, well, I don't. Yeah, I don't think we get confirmation of like where her parents. What are they doing? Do they want her to leave? I don't think we know yet. Yeah, yeah. And which is fine either way. But all all that to say that like maybe Mac's just easier to follow. Like, because he has more touch points. He knows yeah. he and Paul are friends and mm-hmm. all of that. Um, Neil, that is. So speaking of Neil, very sort of like depressed and reclusive Neil in the beginning of the episode. A um, couple of angelics come. We come in peace. Let him know that Paul is alive again. Just kind of do some expository stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the big thing is that Neil is sort of caring for, I guess, Sarah. Mm-hmm. So here's my question. Were Sarah and Neil actually, like, sleeping together and stuff? Like, is... Obviously, Mark thinks that they were. And I guess my initial thought was like oh he's just confusing right their relationship as fellow angelics right but the way that neil sort of dotes on her Mm -hmm. makes me wonder i mean now it's totally possible that he has feelings for her and she never reciprocated too Mm -hmm. like so it's not a hundred percent clear that there's something going on between the two of them or was at one point. But there's very much like there's kind of a reversal of the Natalie taking care of John when he's Hmm. going through his changes, right? Like, like Uber vamp John, right? Before he, goes through with her like bringing him like flesh to eat and stuff Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, which is what started off the whole killing spree was Natalie really right right yeah um so you know I we it's not clear I don't think we can come out of it saying one way or the other um but what's interesting too I think is then the reverse so you get like He's, like, taking care of her, and there's, like, the whole bathtub thing and whatever. But, like, um, what's interesting, though, is, like, her telling him to go away in kind of the same way that Mark tells her to go away. Mm, um, yeah. Which is also what – and, I mean, there's different reason. Like, there, it's not the same reason of, like, I can't bear for you to be around and not be able to talk to you kind of stuff that Mark said. But – 
that's what kind of made me like like with the Paul with the Neil and uh you know kind of his doting on her like again you could just see that as like they were really good friends and even like Neil included Mark as one you know one of his good friends right like you guys were my best friends he says when he goes over right to Mark's house so like you could see that as being like you know taking care of a really good friend but then, like, the fact that there's almost this parallel of her sending him away, just like Mark sent her away. Right. That's what makes me wonder, like, was there something more? Right. Like, subtextually, there's right. just the fact that it's shot and written and presented in a similar way kind of does beg the question. Yeah. Yeah. I, again, I think it's a distinct possibility. I mean, we'll talk about what of if anything gets clarified in the final episode. But um yeah, I think it's like another example of the amount of potential storylines and relationship interactions mm-hmm. that um not that it's necessarily even wasted potential, but just that they they set up so many different avenues that things could go in. Yeah. Um and I yeah, I think that's Definitely one way to read it, but I don't think we get a hard answer one way or the other. Yeah. Um, we certainly can't dismiss it. Um, like, not not with how... Between the parallels and how sort of distraught Neil is. You know? Yeah. I mean, some yeah. of it is like, yeah, he's alone. The Angelics are all getting killed. Here's his kind of last main ally dissolving into goo in the tub like it's a, not a tough it's not a good time for neil but like i do think there's an element of his reaction that's somewhat beyond that that like the kind of personal um devastation seems like it implies something more yeah um but she also kind of, so, I, I mean, the complication there is that she sends him away kind of so she can leave and go look for new flesh to devour. I mean, I don't, I don't know it's the, it's that conscious when she leaves, but mm-hmm. it's like, you know, she goes and sort of is drawn, I guess, to kind of John's lair where there's like all these body parts just laying around for the shades to kind right, of right. enjoy. and For anybody who might want it. Yeah. And um, she does kind of admit to Neil later the yeah. mixed motivation of it was partly for you, partly because I was afraid of what was going to happen, mostly because Mark said these things. And right. Neil, you see the best in me. You see the, the good part of my motivation, but there were many reasons why I did what I did. Not all of them were completely pure and justifiable yeah and i think that's for me kind of been one of the more surprising aspects is her character as a fade because like i i kind of totally initially thought she would go right over to john for some reason like Mm -hmm. and that that side of things and i mean i think it's still ambiguous which way she'll kind of land but like her actually like her 
her holding. So, I mean, part of it was her affection for Mark, right? Like she, she didn't go straight to John because it's like, well, there's Mark, you know, to deal with and like all of that. But then when that became, like when he told her to go away, I kind of was surprised that she went back to Neil and was like willing to do this double right. agent thing. But then I was also kind of expecting like, oh, is she doing a double double agent? And I think I even right. mentioned this last week. Like, is she is she just going to him to Neil to say like, oh, I'll be your double agent. But really, it's because she wants to be corporeal again right. so that she can go see Mark, which is kind of what ends up happening. But it's not as sort of nefarious as I thought I was sort of thinking. Like, I do right. think that there's like a genuineness to her wanting to be with mark right like she's point. not she's not just playing triple agent to be manipulative she's genuinely conflicted like if there's yeah. if there's a pull in both directions it's an honest one it's not that she's playing fourth dimensional chess well, necessarily and trying to and uh, and i yeah sorry. well I, yeah anyway go ahead i do think that like yeah, I think her using, like, her going to John is using him to get what she wants. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's going to him, which is different, I think, than most of, than all of the other fades. Because mm -hmm. all of the other fades are, like, recruited to his team and, like, you know, to do his bidding. And she's the outlier. In right. Um. So yeah, I don't, I don't know that I have a ton more to say about Neil and Sarah per se, but just kind of wanted to bring up their kind of interactions there. I mean, Neil, of course, you know, then goes to the school and there's, you know, guns and kidnappings and mm -hmm. whatever, but that's all sort of like plot stuff to get through. It's, yeah. you know, the, the division that he and Paul have of like, what's the right tack to take? which Paul doesn't want to kill these, you know, embodied fades. Mm -hmm. And Neil's like, well, that's all, that's exactly what we need to do. And we should mm -hmm. do it as soon as possible and to as many yeah. as possible. <laughs> right. Um, right. And he kind of concludes with John saying, you know, if, if I, his, Paul's sort of conclusion and the, these big questions of, um how like why was i brought back if if it was just a matter of bring back the most powerful person who can kill all the fades then why wasn't neil killed and brought back mm. like if i was brought back then maybe it's because there's a particular perspective that i have that you don't and yeah. paul's perspective is there there's a third way there must be a way to save these people rather than rather than like what seem to be the two options which is just let them destroy everything or kill them all um but let's see if we can find like yeah. that third way um but john sort of also says there isn't like like you have both right. john and neil kind of both saying right there can't be and this i mean it. yeah yeah like if two sides are going to refuse to like make a treaty like then there's right. not going to be a treaty like right. like it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy in that yeah, way of right. like 
Yeah, I mean, especially if they both decided that there's no other right. way, then yeah, there there definitely isn't one. Right. There, um, there really is no other way, but only because they say there's no other way. Like that's the only reason. Right. Um. Any anything else? I'm so Sarah goes to Mark at the end. We've got Paul trying to figure out like what this other way is. Neil kidnaps Mac. Everyone else is kind of leaving town at this point. Um, I assume that Anna and her mom are like both leaving town, right? Like, uh, I guess so. Yeah. Again, I don't think we get a definitive. Well, yeah, because they're. They're sort of packing mm -hmm. when Paul starts to get the repeat of his vision. Like, right? Like, where right. he's Jay's dropping. Jay's on the stairs. Jay's on the stairs. Anna and, and the mom are in their rooms, I guess, starting to pack things. And Paul's, he drops the food that he's putting away. Right. So it, the implication is, like, yes, they're on their way to leave. But also, they the, the vision yeah. is starting to potentially come to life like this is the thing that he's been getting the premonitions about right um yeah so everything's in place for the last episode and i guess we'll see how it all works out or doesn't yep. and so my other sort of big question is not just like how will things work out but knowing that this is the last episode and that the series wasn't renewed, mm -hmm. what sort of cliffhangers do we end on <laughs> if mm -hmm. we end on one? Like how much gets resolved and how much doesn't right. is kind of what I'm looking to, to see in the right. next episode here. Yeah. Yep. And speaking of nearing the end of seasons and oh, shows, boy. we've got some Angel to talk about. Right, the anti-penultimate episode of angel right mm. um yeah i don't you don't have to confirm or deny this but my sense is that this is kind of the last big comedic hurrah of you know like i guess both the season and the and the series like this is a big silly um angel and spikes <coughs> excellent adventures in in Italy kind of episode, um, yeah. which given that we're building to, again, the apocalypse, which may or may not have started already. And, you know, we've dealt with like the death of a major character recently, and we're facing the end of the show entirely. Um, I was a little surprised, but then I probably shouldn't have been like, of course you need something like this close to the end. A little lighter. Yeah. You need some like, Let's have fun for, you know, at least one last episode before, like, you know what hits the fan and everything. Right. So um, the tone surprised what me a little. What makes you think it's going to hit the fan? Maybe it just ends with a whimper. Um, mm. Maybe the apocalypse just, like, doesn't happen. Mm. I don't know. Um, yeah, anyway, the, the tone took me a momentarily by surprise but then um i don't know why it did it very quickly i realized like oh this is kind of of course you're going to do something like this um so yeah i kind of want to talk through angel and spike sort of italian misadventures first um 
<laughs> I guess starting with the context, like why they're going there. So we get this, um, you know, impassioned speech from Gunn uh, wanting to send somebody, you know, important and reliable to Italy to take over uh, this or to, to recover this head, the, the capo, who's appropriately named. Um, his head must be returned so that rituals can be performed by his demon family to resurrect him. And if he doesn't, then it's going to be a power vacuum and an all out sort of demon war back here in LA. So somebody has to go take care of the situation. Um, and we get, you know, reference from gun to, uh, just didn't want to lose, don't want to lose another baby with the bathwater boss. So like, it's kind of interesting that we don't get a reference directly to the last episode and Angel's like very morally ambiguous decision, but there's just that hint of, you know, losing the baby with the bathwater kind yeah. of makes you think about what other shady decisions has Angel made lately. Um, just so we don't forget. Right. Um, but we still kind of have gun trying to hold everything together. Like he's not back in power suit mode, but he's not checked out either. He's like desperately trying to salvage this whole Wolferman Hart endeavor. Yeah. Like he's less happy than he was with their decision and the fact that they're here. But if it's like, if we made this decision and Fred died, then he's like, I'll be darned if, we're not going to like make it worth something. Um, so yeah, they end up wanting to send Spike to Italy to collect this. Spike, of course, is not a fan of Italy. Doesn't want to go. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, can you say wank off in Italian? Um, <laughs> and of course, Angel ends up going with him because at the same time, he gets a call about Buffy um, potentially being in trouble. We don't know what the call said exactly, but right. some sort of alarming call from Italy about Buffy, um, which I kind of assumed initially would be from, like, if she was really in trouble, you assume that the call would have come from Giles or you know, Willow or even Andrew or somebody kind of cluing them in. And then you find out on the plane that it's like Angel just has her being tailed all the time. Um, <laughs> because of course he does. Um, anything, you look like you had something to say about that, but. No, just, yeah, like. You mentioned, you know, like, what other things is he doing that maybe are not right. on the up and up? And, right. yeah, this like, like there's a thin line between, like, watching someone to protect them and being, like, creepy ex-stalker mm -hmm. guy. Like, right. Right. <clears throat> is he, uh, yeah, like, I don't even want to say is he. To what extent is he <laughs> abusing his power? you know, here right, as right. the CEO of a branch of Wolfram and Hart. Um, well, we get several references and, you know, for as much as Angel has 
played the moral high card in terms of his superiority to I don't need or want all this Wolfram and Hart stuff. Um, he certainly doesn't hesitate to use it. And um, we get references later even to like, if we had our resources, what could we do? If we had our team, if we had our helicopters, if we like all this and their private jets to roam and everything, like just the way that he's quietly accepted and utilized all the things at his disposal, including full-time Buffy surveillance. Um, yeah. You know, so it's just, it's, it's interesting and funny. Um, yep. You know, and, and obviously Spike is not on the same uh, executive level as, as Angel. And he's newer as like a full-time Wolfram and Hart kind of team member and everything. But like Spike is much more instinctive and kind of visceral than that. Like, whereas of course it's angel who has all these different boots on the ground and like different like branches that he's manipulating and, and tendrils that he's controlling. Um, it doesn't seem to occur to spike to do something like that. Like that's a very angel specific move to have Buffy tailed this way. Um, Anyway, so yeah, they get on a plane and yep. head over to Rome themselves, um, ostensibly to get the Capo's head, but really to check up on Buffy. Sure. Um, I mean, they might as well kill two birds with one stone. Right? Why not? Like, yeah, it's all going to the same place. Um, and then we get um, like just a couple flashbacks just to kind of give us some context. I mean, there's the like really quick little flashback of Spike and Drew in the 50s. Um, just saying ciao, ciao a lot. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a whole episode to be spun out of their black and white, you know, fifties version of that. Um, but yeah, that the is main, kind of hilarious. It, yeah. It's, and the way it just kind of breaks in there, um, you know, and, and then doesn't come back. Like, that's what's really funny, too, is I was kind of expecting it to be, like, a series of flashbacks where it's like, no, it's you just get the one, yeah. the one little, like, 1950s snapshot that's, like, 10 seconds long, and that's it. Right. Um, really <laughs> funny. That is pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then we get um, the real thing that Angel was... He's like, I wasn't there for that one. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, of, of, like... Um, I, I just have to say, of, like, the, like, funny, like, just sort of completely unexpected, you know, uh, interstitial vignette moments in Angel, like, that and Angel dancing are, like, mm -hmm. the two, like, my two favorite, like, just in general, just, mm -hmm. they're just so bizarre and out of whack of, like, everything else you know what right. i mean like right. in the, i mean even in this episode which it does have a number of you know i mean like the whole like angel and spike italian misadventures as you call them like is pretty funny overall like mm -hmm. you know so it's not maybe completely it's just like 
totally unexpected and you're it's just yeah 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 and you don't know like 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 those art films it's sort of absurd and existential and like you don't know what it like why are they just saying ciao um right you're not really supposed to know why or question it. it's just sort of an aesthetic yeah um so and like like how long was this phase like they're vampires like was this like years right. decades like right like how long did this happen for <laughs> um and it's like if you're gonna bring drew back you have to make good use of her too um, sure she's such a funny character so um so yeah, we get a little more time with 1894, which was the actual uh, time in Rome that Angel was present for. Um, and we get sort of backstory on their rivalry with the immortal, um, who kind of, I'm you know, roughs them up a little bit and kicks them out um, of his, Rome is apparently his turf, that he's He's been gone for 300 years, but he's back. And this was his sort of stomping ground. Um, and you get the sense that, or the, the, the misdirection, the implication is that they are rival predators, that this is his feeding ground. And you guys, you know, you upstart little vampires are honing in on my turf and my supply of food or whatever. Um, and of course, um, it's more about the ladies. It's, he's this Italian stallion and, um, they're kind of in the way, I guess, romantically or just like in the, I don't even think that they rival him necessarily. He's just like <laughs> pulling rank on them. Sure. Um, well, so he and, like, yeah, he kind of ravishes their women and then kicks them out of town and proceeds to just, you know, do his thing in Rome ever since. Yeah. What is the immortal? We don't know. There's we have no idea. Like, no. is he is he another vampire? Is he right. something else completely? Like, right. We don't right. know. Right. A demon, a human with magical powers. Don't know. Um, no, he's all reputation in, uh, right. in this episode. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's kind of an interesting little conceit. And, um, yeah, I mean, he, Angel considers him his arch nemesis, but like, not really, like there's no competition. <laughs> there's never even, there's never even, um, the chance of a confrontation. Um, you know, or the sense that Angel rivals him in any real sense. The immortal is just the immortal. He's got the world sort of wrapped around his finger and that sort of end of discussion. Um, yeah. He felt like sunshine. That's what Drew says. That's the only like concrete description that we get. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, no, it's, it's all very funny. Um, so they get there, knock on Buffy's he's apartment. He's like the sorry, I was just gonna say he's like oh, yeah. the um supernatural version of like the most interesting man in the world, right? Right. Like, right. <laughs> right. Like, I don't I don't 
always, you know, do whatever. But when I do. Right. I don't <laughs> always sleep with vampires. But when I do, I sleep with two of them. Yeah, two of them um, at a time. And, <laughs> yeah. No, that's a good... Like, he's just so... We don't even know if he's evil. No, and I actually... I get the... You kind of get the sense that he's sort of neutral. Right. Like that he he's just kind of like he. I mean, this comparison is just kind of silly in a way, but like he's kind of like Lorne in Caritas, right? Mm -hmm. Like all demons are welcome and I'll tell anyone who wants to know like what their path is, you know, good, bad or ugly. Like um, now he's not helping people per se, but like. You don't get the sense that, like, like he's right. the sort of quintessential playboy. He's of, equal like, opportunity in a different way. Yeah, yeah, he'll he'll go to parties and you know seduce people and whatever, but it's not like he's not doing it like maliciously or for like an evil plan. It's just like he does what he seems to think is fun and enjoyable, and that's mm-hmm. seems to be all that he is now. I you know. You could say, right. like, maybe that's not good in and of itself, and so therefore it's bad. But, like, it's not it's not like demons where we've seen, like, or big bads where we've seen, like, there's an actual, like, evil plan or something. Right. Right. And everybody from Darla to Buffy seems to agree that he is interesting and special and worth kind of spending that sort of quality time with and everything. Um, I mean, they both thought the same thing about Angel as well. So that's not to say that there aren't any other comparisons to be made, but... Sure. Um, but he, he's he's not so... I like I like your description of neutral. Like, he's not so good or evil that he's a turnoff to either Darla or Buffy. Um, so. Right, right. Like, the right, the very fact that he can attract both ends of the spectrum, you know, kind of. Says something. Yeah. Yeah. But, and it attracts, and them, been... it attracts them passionately, not in a bland, right. middle-of-the-road kind of way, but that there's. Sure. A sense that he is the most interesting man in the world to both of them who couldn't be more different. Um, so can I bring up something that comes up in the comics later? Yeah. Because it does have bearing on this particular, in particular Buffy and the Immortal, because I, I just want to be careful. So it's tough, because like, there's a retcon that happens ah. in the comics. Okay. So if we're just looking at this episode and, you know, we're talking about Buffy and it's slightly better than, you know, the episode where Buffy was in bed having sex with Spike next to Angel. Because mm-hmm. um, it's at least at a distance, even though we know it's not Sarah Michelle Geller. Right. <laughs> um, it's a little bit more Buffy-like. So the retcon is that in Buffy season eight, um, she sends out several decoys, like mm-hmm. several slayer, you know, potential slayers who have now been slayerized, I guess, 
you know, because of the events of the end of season seven, she sends out several decoys, you know, young blonde slayers who look like her, at least passingly like her, as a way to, like, you know, as, as, like, maybe, like, military, military dictators would do of, like, you know, so no one knows, like, exactly where they are at any given time because, you know, she's the target of various assassination attempts or, you know, attacks or whatever. And one of those decoys is in Rome dating the immortal that we learn during this, you know, phase. So the, the, I don't know that it's explicitly stated, but the implication being that this whole thing about Buffy and the immortal, it's not actually Buffy. It's it's this decoy. Interesting. Um, Which, Kind of makes it funnier, even in a way. And like, sure. you know, when you when you get this idea of like both Spike and Angel run to Rome and they don't even notice that it's not Buffy. Right. Right. Like they just right. like see her and then like go away and like have their right. like, little sad like I, you know bro yeah. moment. Right. <laughs> I definitely I didn't I, I it didn't uh, seem uh, obvious to me that it wasn't Buffy at all. I definitely wondered whether the girl they see in the club was really Buffy. Um, I mean, mostly because, not just because it obviously isn't Sarah Michelle Keller and they don't, like, sure. want to show that it's... But, like, from within the narrative, like, the fact that we don't get the confirmation for sure um, definitely raises the question of, was it somebody who looked like her. Um, so then I guess extrapolating outward from that, you could definitely even question whether Buffy's here at all. Um, I mean, other than the fact that Andrew says she is, but then that's part of the decoy potentially. Exactly. It is explicitly in the comics. It's Andrew's idea to send out decoys. So like, like you do get this like explicit connections of like, which is even funnier that like Andrew's, then playing that playing in on it in yeah. this whole yeah. episode, basically. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, I like I don't want to make too much of it because I I do think that in the episode when it aired, and I think if we want to do crit ficky stuff, like right, the, the intention, in, the intention that, behind yeah. it was that it actually was Buffy. Um, but the retcon, <clears throat> the retconning also works. So yeah. Uh, yeah. definitely, you know should mention that um, yeah yeah and the effect is the same is to prompt angel and spike to kind of think about this whole um moving on question um you know which andrew gives a good little um speech of there like it, it, you know it's kind of a, a very basic andrew analogy but you know she's moving on. You guys should do the same. You might catch her one day. If you keep running in place, you're going to find her long gone. Like waiting for her doesn't accomplish your goal any better than moving on does necessarily. Um, Sure. Like if she's moving on, then just kind of sitting around waiting for her to come back to you um, or sending tales after her or whatever um, that doesn't actually get you any closer to her in the long run. Um, so the best thing you can do is 
try to move on with your life. And if it, if, if it's going to work out someday, then it will. Um, yeah, people, people change, Andrew says, as he comes out in his little slick tux and um, going out with women, apparently, which is like big change. Um, well, he's not waiting around for Spike. He's moved yeah, on. Andrew's sexuality was always a bit ambiguous. A little, um, uh, a little. I mean, and it's also yeah. like, like it's Italy, like going out with like women on your arm doesn't necessarily mean that you, for sure, you know, right, are sleeping with them, are yeah. sleeping with them, for sure. Yeah. yeah, no, yeah, and there's some of it that's just like, well, this is what you do in a night out in Rome. Um, but I don't know to have him kind of say that as he says, people change is sort of like pointed. Um, sure, and I mean the actor Tom Link is openly gay, so like, mm-hmm. you know not you know far-fetched to think that his character might be especially right. given the various sure. ambiguous comments that he makes throughout right no andrew season. is very ambiguously gay i mean um, just even even like you know his preference in james bond actors and like that kind of stuff you know what i mean like there's <laughs> there's just like lots of little yeah things that could make you well he still wonder. has his nice um big hug for spike and everything like you still get that there's a lot of affection there still um speaking italian to him greeting him into his apartment and everything um so yeah no andrew i mean and and aside from the kind of uh question of andrew's sexuality and everything there's still just the sense of how much he's changed you know, in ways other than that, you know, that he's kind of high up enough in Buffy's ranks to be holding down the, the, you know, apartment and coming up with these decoy plans and, you know, fending off Spike and Angel for her and everything. Like, you know, he's all, he's different in a lot of ways um, from what he used to be a season or two ago. Um, yeah, so I don't, any other parts from the misadventure that you wanted to cover? I mean, I think we got most of it there. Um, I think we got most of it. Um, I mean, I guess the only other, there's not a lot to go into, but just to kind of note the presence of Wolfram and Heart Rome, that there's this other, um, you know, we've heard about other branches, but it's kind of fun to see one. I love that they use the same set, which is yeah. like absolutely charming. <laughs> they just like walk onto the exact same set with just Italian actors and extras instead of American yep. ones. Um, that's delightful. and even the demons are like Italianish, right? right like right, right, right. Um, but otherwise, like they literally don't change a single thing about the set, which I think is pretty delightful. Um, So yeah, that was kind of fun to see. And the CEO and like, she's so kind of friendly and warm and, you know, like this kind of crazy Italian people. And where's Italian Wesley? He's taking a nap. Like, Hey, it's Europe. Don't worry about it. Just everybody calm down, chill out. Yeah. Um, Um, so and also, it's like, fun to see a European branch of Wolfman Heart 
it's a right. much more chill place right and the like they don't do like the SWAT team thing they it's like oh it's just a bribe we'll yeah. take care of that yeah. like yeah don't worry it's, about we it do it all the time yeah <laughs> yep um yeah and little i mean just little italian cliches like you have to have them riding a moped and all that kind of thing sure um yeah. there's just like little fun things like that so um you know i enjoyed their little adventure through rome that was fun yeah. um okay so you covered the, what you wanted to say about the comics was more kind of just yeah, like it, I mean, conning. And like, I don't want to make too much of it. It's literally like three sentences or something. And like, yeah, I mean, sure. you know how comics are like, yeah, it's like Buffy mentions like, Oh, there's like decoys in Rome and somewhere else. Right. Right. Like, you know, and you know, one of them's dating the immortal, like the one in Rome is dating the immortal or something like that. I don't, right. I, right. it's been a while since I've read it and, I yeah. had to kind of look up the references and stuff, but yeah, it's not like there's not like a whole like story arc or anything about it. Mm -hmm. It's just like a sense somewhere, you know, in the yeah. whatever. Cool. Um, well then I guess we'll finish with, uh, Illyria and Wesley. Mm -hmm. Um, Illyria who is completely frustrated and feeling defeated from her, the loss of some of her powers and the, I guess that was the previous episode, right? Um, yeah. Where they took yeah. away her, her time travel and some of her phenomenal yeah. cosmic power, not all of it, apparently not her ability to change her form and her appearance. Right. Um, still she retains because the Burkles show up. It's like, oops, somebody forgot to right. call for his big, You know, Oh, yeah. minor oversight. Um, everybody kind of went not it that day. Um, I I don't. Yeah, I mean nobody even. Or or did it even occur I, to them? Is I mean, kind that's of what the, I got. Right. But yeah. Right. Like, oh yeah, she she does have a family. Um, so they turn up to surprise her, and yeah, Illyria displays a power we didn't know she had, and. She kind of has alluded to having access to some of Fred's memories in the past, but the implication was kind of always that, like, she could kind of look at them and see the shape of them, but not really understand them, you know, from kind of the human perspective. But either she didn't explain it very well, or she kept that quiet because she's able to embody Fred in this episode, you know, to her voice, her, you know, mannerisms, like, you know, actually be Fred as if she knew Fred. Um, and not just that, like, I have access to memories and so I can reference things that only my parents would know, but is able to actually reenact her particular ticks and mannerisms and um sure. mode of speech and everything um which yeah that's a much deeper level of understanding of fred's memories than i think we realized she had access to and i'm trying to remember 
at what point does she say that about the memories? Because is is that before or after when Weston breaks the memory box? Mm. Like, is there a so, way in which that 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 could help with some of that? Well, when when he is finding out about the memory box, she says that she's aware that there are memories missing. Which kind of implies that she's aware of there being a difference between the memories that she has access to versus the ones that she doesn't. Mm-hmm. So, but, yeah. But that didn't necessarily read to me at the time like she's saying, I understand Fred, I know everything about her. Sure. Um, more like I have a file that I could read. Um, but here it's like she's able to actually mimic, right? Like enact it in a way that, um, certainly I hadn't, you know, realized she could before this episode. Um, so in her kind of, it's an interesting wrinkle to her quest to be more human because, like, in her whole kind of Pygmalion plot with Wesley, where she's trying to, like, learn about you know what it means to be human and what grief feels like and all these things it's like on the one hand she still doesn't really understand those things but on the other hand she must understand something in order for her to play act in this way yeah yeah like there's just a question of what exactly is happening here you know like is there a switch being flipped that kind of turns her into fred momentarily or is it that she's recalling things that are suppressed or i don't know there's like any number like i'd be interested to hear sort of the mechanics almost of what's the magic happening um which we don't get we don't like get a real detailed explanation of exactly what's going on but there's a lot of different potential explanations. Sure. Yeah, I don't. We don't get an explanation. No. So I like I like I I'm not gonna make you go like two more episodes kind of thing because like I don't. No, right, I don't and and I think get, it uh, it deliberately doesn't give one, so that's fine. But like even that fact is kind of interesting. Like like exactly what she's doing remains very vague and all we know from Wesley's point of view is that it's disturbing and he tells her to stop it um like he doesn't want to know he doesn't want to find out he doesn't like just cut it out and never do this again um you know and again I think we've had this in other episodes where like dead characters are you know reenacted or brought back where there's that sense of kind of um i don't know not honoring their memory or you know like there's something um i don't know what the word is like dishonorable to the person that's gone you know to kind of wear them like a suit in a way 
sure. Yeah, and it's, um, I mean, there's also just the confusing nature of like how much of Fred is still around, and it's right. It's that it's the intellectual versus the emotional, like you know, Wesley knows that Fred's gone. And not only is she gone, she's not coming back. Like, but then when you see, it's 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 almost a Uncanny Valley type of thing. Mm -hmm. Of like, and not Uncanny Valley visually, but maybe in yeah. action, you know, because like, visually, she's exactly like Fred. Mm -hmm. And so it's that little the fact that you like know but like it looks so much and you know Illyria acts so much like Fred that there's just sort of this cognitive dissonance there. right right so what's your take on the kind of implications toward the end that she's kind of wanting to maybe keep this going a bit longer like it's not like okay the Burkles leave Wesley's like, don't ever do this again. And it's not like Illyria's response isn't like, oh, thank God, because I couldn't wait for it to be over. She's like kind of like, oh, like this is worth exploring and kind of tries to get Wesley to play along for a little bit. Um and um you know, he says uh, change back which she does um and then says as you wish which like princess bride reference is like <laughs> it's is Illyria in love with wesley or maybe not in love maybe that's too strong a word but like is Illyria interested in like now that she's opened this can of worms is fred and wesley's sort of romantic relationship a thing that Illyria is interested in exploring i guess it's a question that i have you don't have to answer it, but that's that's my question. Or is it purely so, like an ex, like just a yeah? I don't like like I you can't, know I can't answer. I've there are other people who certainly have drawn the connection between, uh, you know, Illyria saying "as you wish" and the Princess Burkle. So that's right. not. Right. Whatever. What I can't answer is like, is that intentional or not? Right. Right. Um, I will point to earlier in the episode where I think is it this episode? I can't remember. Where um yeah, because it's when it's when um Wesley's asking well, so first of all, it's also like she's saying it to Wesley, which is pretty close to Wesley, right? So mm -hmm. um right. the far so, away. Yeah, exactly. Um but the the earlier in the episode, when he's like, you know, how are you doing this or whatever, and she's like, well, it's a it's a modulation of my form, you know, I appear as I wish, like like she uses the word wish mm -hmm. there too. So, is it just a callback to that of like? Mm -hmm. But you could argue that like she's going from I'm doing what I want to she does she actually care about what wesley right wants and so in that sense yeah like is 
is love is is saying she's in love with him like or that she loves him putting it too strongly maybe i do think it is a indication that she's starting to care what he thinks Mm. in some degree and if that's a form of love okay sure like we could draw that connection i don't i don't think it's um yeah, I think I think you know, it, it would be too strong to say Illyria has fallen in love with Wesley. Like that's not yeah. we're, if that's well, ever down the road, we're not there yet. But right. I think like on a, a more you know, I guess realistic timeline, you know, I guess the kind of question is like, okay, she's tempting him or encouraging him or trying to get him to play along with this little game. And there are a few different reasons why that might be, or it might be a mix of them. You know, she's kind of experimenting on the one hand, maybe she is interested in Wesley's reaction. Maybe she's interested in what he would want. Um, And, or it's some kind of blend between all three. Um, But it seems like, whether or not that she intended it to happen, just having an afternoon as Fred intrigued her in some way. Um, And either for her own sake or because of Wesley's reaction. And there's something there that she would like to, if Wesley would allow her to play along, um, that like, would she'd like to explore that a little bit further? And I think another thing that just, keep thinking about is that like just because she lost some of her capabilities and and is frustrated by that doesn't mean that she's stopped testing what her abilities are and what others abilities are like i think this is just in some sense this is her you know doing to wesley what she did to spike only with spike it was physical and Mm -hmm. with wesley it's more emotional and you know, looking at how he reacts to, you know, their own interactions and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, like, now, is that to say that, like, that doesn't mean there's some kind of affection potentially being, uh, you know, developing between them? I mean, I don't think the two are mutually exclusive. I think she can test him and also possibly care to some degree what he thinks like Mm -hmm. those seem like both things that could be happening um but i yeah i don't like i don't want to get into the idea that it's just like all about you know what is the reaction from wesley it's like if she she's been testing them all along since she got since she took over fred's body she's been trying to figure out what her capabilities are and whatever. Mm -hmm. So now is this just another step in that same direction? Possibly. Yeah. I, I would be surprised though, like going back to your question, I would be surprised if the writers didn't have like Princess Bride in mind. Sure. Like, it's just like such a... Right. Whether or not they won you to conclude anything in particular from that, just that that it's meant to kind of 
I don't know, sound familiar in a way. Like, yeah, when when she says, as you wish, what she's really saying is, I love you. Like, that's what right. you have to be thinking. Right. Um, uh, I'll note, too, that just because we've been noting these writers as they do their final episodes, um, it's uh, the writers for this episode are Stephen DeKnight and Drew Goddard. So this is their final episode uh, for each of them. So, Okay. Just, just a point of note. I don't, I don't know if either of them have any like other connection to Princess Bride in any way. Like, so <laughs> yeah, it would know. be interesting to see if they did, and maybe that could give us additional insight there. But, and also, I think both of them did write for Buffy season eight, but I don't know if either of them wrote like the particular story arc or, or you know, comic that references the immortal that would be interesting too like mm. to look up like th- did one of them write in this like retcon about the immortal perhaps right like, it's totally yeah. possible <clears throat> which isn't like that happens like with jane espenson you know kind of bringing her own characters yeah. back time and again right certain storylines that she like <laughs> tends to follow um yeah yeah cool well anything else that we didn't cover in this episode no i mean the poor burkles like poor burkles at at some point have are none the wiser yeah right so like this is that sort of thing always bothers me because like if i'm to fall on a side in the debate of like is it better to like know the truth or like be blissfully ignorant like i tend to always like at least say that I would prefer to know the truth. Of course, I don't know what maybe I'm blissfully ignorant about. So maybe that's not actually true in Mm -hmm. practice, but at least like, and so like for me, like episodes like this, like, yes, it's nice that they kind of go living their merrily blissful way. But like, I feel like at some point that just makes, is going to make it harder for them when they learn. Sure. Well, yeah, and I think Wesley's, like, he was about to tell them, you know? I think right. it's it's Illyria who jumps in and kind of messes things up in that way. Um, I think if they find out down the road that they, that not only that Fred is dead, but that they were not told and that they were lied to about it, that absolutely will make things harder. And thanks Illyria for uh, (laughs) screwing that up because I think it seemed like Wesley would have, you know, he's about to sort of break it to them. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know that Wesley even would agree, would disagree with you there. Like it would have been a lot simpler to, I mean, it would have been difficult, but better for the Burkles to be told now rather than have to be told later. Unless, Illyria just pretends to be Fred forever. Maybe they never find out. Which is even more disturbing. There's two episodes left, so we'll see if that happens. Well, there's comics. Yeah. On that note, we should probably sign off and we'll come back next week with the last episode of the fades and uh, the penultimate episode of the night. 
Sounds good. See you then. Thank you.